What's going on, FCS fans? Neither rain nor snow nor sleet will keep you from getting the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Football Game Plan and the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hassegan with you, as always, along with the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How are you this fine December morning? It is definitely winter has come early here, folks. Uh, we got past Thanksgiving and we finally got in our first quote unquote snowstorm. I know you, most of you in the nor- Midwest are probably laughing at uh, calling what we have right now a snowstorm, but it is coming down. It's been coming down for about 12 hours now uh, between all sorts of precipitation. But we are here. We are ready to go. The first round of the playoffs are in the books. We had some explosive offensive games we had some defensive struggles we had backups coming in and starring roles we had just a little bit of everything and we'll talk about that in the first round we also had a tremendous game in the bayou classic that we'll talk about we will preview the second round as well as the swack title game coming up at the end of the podcast and in between that we'll talk about strength of conference does it really matter we'll talk about the fcs bowl and what we'll be looking out for there is emory will be down there this upcoming week and we'll, of course, have our game balls that we will talk about here on the show, as well as maybe some FCS award ballots that we'll talk about. We'll talk about some of our finalists that we chose uh, that will be coming up in the next couple of days. As always, folks, if you want to listen back on any of our previous podcasts, go to Football Game Plan in the podcast section of either iTunes or SoundCloud. You can subscribe while you are there so you don't miss out on any football game plan content you can also watch the fcs kickoff if you are in the new york metropolitan area on the game plus network we have three shows monday thursday and friday at 6 30 on the game plus network and you can pre- still order copies of the gogo offense uh it's a great stocking stuffer folks it's a, it's a phenomenal stock uh, something for under the christmas tree or a potential hanukkah gift uh, if you are uh, celebrating Hanukkah, it, it's a, it's just great for everybody, isn't it, Emery? Yeah, you can get that book at footballgameplan.com slash offense. Still selling like hotcakes. People are very interested in this offense that we have now seen in Power 5 <laughs> football and also in the NFL. Re- as recent as Thanksgiving Day with the Chicago Bears scoring a touchdown using that GoGo offense formation to Jesper Horstead an FCS player coming from Princeton who got his first NFL touchdown against the Detroit Lions. Congratulations to Jesper for sure. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's showing up in the SEC. It's showing up in the NFL. It's almost like it's an effective form of offense that maybe people should try looking into. Interesting. Uh, before we get into the uh, first round review, we do have uh, some uh, sad news that happened this week as well. Uh, coach uh, Pat Sullivan, uh, the former head coach at TCUN Sanford, as well as the College Football Hall of Famer quarterback from Auburn, Uh, passed away unexpectedly this week. So we just want to send our best wishes to his wife, Jean, uh, and his entire family uh, as they mourn his loss. Uh, It's never easy, especially around the holiday season. But a tremendous quarterback, a tremendous coach uh, in Pat Sullivan. So we'll keep him in our thoughts as we go forward with the rest of this season. Let's get into the first round of Action Emery. And we'll start with um, with the game that I was at. I was fortunate enough to... Uh, end up at the Albany versus Central Connecticut State game this past week. Uh, shout out to the entire staff there who, thanks to some last-minute shuffling, got me a seat in the press box instead of freezing my butt off on the field because it was it was frigid up in Albany this past week, folks, uh, in the low 30s for most of it. We talked about Central Connecticut State Emory, 11-1, outstanding team, not almost beat, off, beat an FBS school to finish undefeated, 
how good was this team? And I will preface it by this. They are still a very good football team. But I would liken Central Connecticut State to a, a boxer who was outstanding in their weight class and they decided to move up one and test their skills. And it didn't really come to pass against Albany. Central Connecticut gets absolutely rocked by the Great Danes, for who for a half struggled, but they get the win 42-14. But not the story of this game in whole. Yeah, you talk about a third quarter that got out of hand from Central Connecticut State because they, I thought, dominated the entire first half. Yes. Um, even up until they gave up that touchdown late uh, in the second quarter. I just thought that this was a team that showed that they, you know, was definitely belong. Their offense was moving the football at times. They just couldn't put it away in certain situations. But the third quarter, Albany came out, poured it on, and gave them the points necessary to pull away in this contest. I'll, I'll, you're exactly right with that tale of two halves. I mean, Aaron Winchester had Albany guessing in the first two drives. Uh, they absolutely had no answer for him whatsoever. Central Connecticut State went down the field with relative ease, if not for the Great Dean's defense, which was outstanding in this one. I think they, I don't think Central Connecticut State got a third down conversion all game until late. Uh, they got a couple fourth down conversions on the first couple drives. Without that defense, Albany is down two or three touchdowns by halftime. Uh, but Jeff Undercuffler, I'll tell you what, we're talking about. I'll talk about him later on when we bring up awards. This freshman is for real, and he threw some absolute bombs. Uh, Central Connecticut State had no answer for Jawan Green and Jarrah Reeves. Both of those wide receivers are outstanding. Uh, just a really phenomenal game from the Great Danes, and they move on into the second round on to the next thought, one here i thought their def i thought their linebackers were outstanding in that ball game and if you're going to stop central connecticut state you have to get great play at the second level their linebackers i thought played a fantastic game their entire linebacking core comes back next year as well so i i would keep an eye on this great dean defense maybe if you're looking for a potential late round draft pick or an undrafted free agent for an NFL roster, you might want to look up in upstate New York because this, this squad is really, really good. Let's get into the rest of the first round here. We had Monmouth taking on Holy Cross. Again, we figured Monmouth was the favorite in this one. Holy Cross coming into a, yeah, had a decent year in the Patriot league, uh, dominated there, finished above 500. Monmouth though was coming in on quite the tear and, they absolutely performed 44-27 for Monmouth. Absolute dominant first playoff win in their history. Outstanding from the Hawks. Yeah, their offense is on fire right now. I want to say it's three consecutive games scoring 40-plus points. So this offense is definitely on legitimate fire right now. Defensively, they're playing great football. And if Coach Bob Chesney doesn't do a great job of generating uh, big plays on special teams, you're talking about with an onside kick and things of that nature, stuff that Holy Cross usually does, this would have been an even worse score uh, than what we're seeing now at 44-27. But great game all the way around offensively, once again, by Monmouth. Outstanding from the Monmouth Hawks, and Coach Callaway moves on to the next round. Next, Austin P taking on Furman. Furman, beginning of the year, about through the halfway point, maybe the three-quarter pole, was outstanding in the SoCon. We thought, okay, this Furman team's for real. They're going to be a, maybe even a seed. They fell off at the end of the season. So we're thinking, okay, what kind of, you know, what does this SoCon team bring to the table? I guess an Austin P team who was looking unbeatable in the OVC. Austin P is a legit threat. 42 to 6. The Governor's roll. First time ever that they get a 10 win season in their program's history. They get their first playoff win in their first appearance. 
outstanding from the governors. They just dominated every phase of this game. This was in a torrential downpour throughout the game. They had a couple of weather delays uh, in this contest. And it, every time they got back on the field, it seemed as though Austin P wasn't affected by the, the rain. Their defense was aggressive throughout the contest. Their offense found its footing consistently. Javon Craig, the quarterback, did a great job just distributing the football. I thought this game was dominated by Austin P up front. Their point of attack play on both sides of the ball was phenomenal. I was shocked to see Furman get dominated like this up front. Now, I picked Austin P to win the game. I didn't think it would be 42-6. to six. I also didn't think mm. it would be this dominant up front. So, Austin P's point of attack play, what they've done along the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, definitely makes this next matchup in round two very interesting, one that should be a, a great game between Sacramento State. Exactly, and we that'll be an interesting one with Austin P, the two debutantes. Uh, facing off against each other. Next up, one of the defensive struggles, and oddly, it wasn't one of the games that was played in the elements. It was just terrible weather from most of the Midwest uh, over this past weekend. But the one game that was in the Dome turned out to be the defensive struggle, Northern Iowa taking on San Diego. We mentioned how the Toreros have become the kryptonite of pretty much any team they face in the first round. But Northern Iowa proving that they are a solid team out of the Valley. They get the win 17-3. A couple of, mis of mistakes. We had a pick six in this game. Uh, for San Diego, Ritsonet did not have his best day. Uh, but that's Northern Iowa's defense stepping up and showing why they are a solid program. Yeah, Ritsonet looks the part out there of a, of a pro quarterback. He has good fluid motion, throws football really well, just couldn't stop throwing the football to Northern Iowa. And you also look at Northern Iowa's offense, you should be a little bit concerned because this Terrero's defense really shut them out and, and gave mm -hmm. them all sorts of fits. So this was a great defensive battle. I was more impressed by... San Diego's defense, but great resolve by Northern Iowa fighting through all of that offensive inconsistency to get the much-needed points to win the game. Their defense really stepped up huge and got them this victory. Into the fifth matchup of the first round, back to the OVC, SEMO, Southeast Missouri, taking on Illinois State. I'm going to have to eat a little bit of crow on this one because I said, you know, I went obviously I went to Macomb and saw Illinois State play Western Illinois this year. And Illinois State didn't blow me away. I wasn't overly impressed. Their defense was outstanding, especially on third down. But offensively, not, you know, nothing to write home about. Well, James Robinson <laughs> put up the numbers as to why he is an NFL draft prospect. Illinois State rolls 24 to 6. And James Robinson had himself a day. 41 carries, 297 and a touchdown. Yeah, I thought SEMO had an opportunity to win this ball game because of their defense. I was a big fan of their linebacking core, and neither their defense or their linebacking core showed up at all against James Robinson and his ground attack of Illinois State. So shout out to the Redbirds for going on the road and getting that win against SEMO because, again, this was a team offensively you knew going in, hey, if you stop James Robinson, you have a pretty good chance of winning this game. Well, the Redhawks didn't stop James Robinson, and he— got dominated from start to finish on to the next one now the only independent team to make the playoffs the first one since 2003 north dakota going down to the broiling oven that is louisiana even at this time of year taking on nickels um first of all the color contrast in this one was incredible between the red of nickels and the bright green of north dakota's helmets uh it, christmas came early for sure in this one but not so much for the Fighting Hawks. Nichols wins 24-6. to uh, Incredible defensive play. Sully Leach 
all over the field again in this one for Nichols, making big plays on defense, and they move on to the second round. Well, that was the biggest key because we knew North Dakota would come into this game and try to establish their ground attack and allow Ketteringham to operate off play action. And Ketteringham had a solid day, but the run game was really shut down by Nichols, and Nichols' ground game really got going. So I thought Nichols came in and played a better North Dakota game than North Dakota. And so shout out to that defense. Coach Tim Rebo does a great job defensively. He's a defensive-minded coach. And with that aspect going into a contest with a star player like Sully Leach and what they were able to do offensively, Chase 4K did a great job in just being efficient in the passing game. So they had a ton of balance on offense, ran the football really well, shut down North Dakota's run game, made them one-dimensional. No surprise, they got the win. And shout-out to Julian Gums, the uh, running back for Nichols, who had a tremendous day. Out of sophomore out of New Orleans, 5'10", 230. He's a heck of a guy to try to bring down. Also, born on May 2nd. That's a great day to have a birthday, I would know. Moving on to the next one here, Kennesaw taking on Wofford. This was the acid test. How good is this Kennesaw team? Because if, if Wofford had gone to this game and dominated Kennesaw, it really would have put a bit of a smudge on the committee's decision to include a second team from the Big South as to opposed to a team like New Hampshire or Southern Illinois or South Carolina State, for that matter. So the question was, how does Kennesaw, who dominated the Big South play, dominated most of their schedule, respond to this Wofford team? Well, my goodness, what an effort on the depth chart from the Kennesaw State Owls. They went 28-21. They played most. They played the entire second half under their third-string quarterback, Jonathan Murphy, the sophomore, comes in and is an absolute hero for the Hawks. Listen, the, the 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 honest analysis from this game is that this was two evenly matched teams. Yes. Regardless of conference or logos on the helmet, both teams run the option, so you know the game was going to be close because no one knows the option best than an option team. So right. not surprised that the tug of war back and forth, and it was a close game, nip and tuck, going back and forth throughout, said Kennesaw made a couple of more big plays uh, in the in a run game than Wofford. So I thought this was one of the more fantastic matchups of the weekend, and it played true to course out there on the football field. So you you have to tip your hats to Wofford for playing a great game, but you also have to tip your hats to Kennesaw State for going out there and knocking out a team from the SoCon. And let's move on to the wild game of the first round. I mean, you would know, you know Louisiana Emory. You know strange things sometimes happen in Hammond. Well, it did in this one. Villanova taking on southeastern Louisiana. This is the first time, by the way, that these schools have met in any sport. This is the first time these schools have ever met. And talk about a wild ball game. I mean, back and forth, big plays going both directions. You couldn't take your eyes off this one. And southeastern Louisiana, who some people thought maybe they were eliminated after losing to Nichols in the last week of the season, Pulls out the win, 45-44. Villanova thought they had it. They thought they had a touchdown in the last last few minutes, but called off due to offensive pass interference, and the Lions move on to the second round. You just can't go into Strawberry Stadium and, and get a win. You know, <laughs> uh, you talk about Southeastern Louisiana, and you mentioned we mentioned this in the Albany Central Connecticut State recap, just a tale of two halves. This was dominated in the first half by Villanova. To the point where you thought, oh, man, this is about to get ugly. At the point where it was 24-7, it's like, man, Villanova's really about to run away with this. 
and then they scored a touchdown toward the end of the, the, the half. You're like, wow, like they're about to blow the doors off southeast Louisiana. So you have to give credit to Coach Selfo getting his team coming out of the, the third quarter on fire. And the resolve from southeast Louisiana, which we've seen from them just last week against Nichols, being able to fight through and, and come back and stay the course. And in this case, it got themselves a victory. So shout out to uh, Virgil, the quarterback, who does a great job in throwing the football down the field. I really like their run game. Um, Devonta Williams is a, is a tremendous tailback. He's a slippery guy. And, you know, I think he does a great job in just weaving his way uh, through the line of scrimmage. Um, so I'm a big fan of his game. But, man, just a great all-around effort by Southeastern Louisiana. And you hope that they didn't expend, you know, they didn't use up all of their uh, emotional energy in this ball game because they have a, another huge one uh, next week or this upcoming weekend uh, against Montana. Exactly. Going to need to uh, bundle up for that one. A slight difference between Hammond and uh, Montana, just just a slight bit. Uh, there were two other games that were on the schedule last week as well in the SWAC. Uh, Prairie View A&M knocked off Alabama State 2017 on Thursday. But then all eyes were on the Bayou Classic, Southern and Grambling. This is oh, There's a reason they call this a classic, folks. It is outstanding every single year. And this year, huge implications. Winner of this game goes to the SWAC title game. And everybody mentions offense and defense, but special teams always comes into play and we saw it in this one southern holding off grambling grambling gets a last second field goal with 10 seconds left and the field goal gets blocked southern wins 30 to 28 they move on to the swag title game to face all corn next week huge huge win for southern huge win for southern and a big time loss for grambling because you have to be sound blocking up front when you're trying to kick field goals and when you're a team like Grambling that came into this Bayou classic with a six game winning streak, completely turned their season around. My goodness, this was a heartbreaking loss for the Tigers because again, you look at their schedule, three point loss to Alabama state, six point loss to Louisiana tech. Who's playing phenomenal football. They, they were going back and forth with Prairie view and they lost that game by six. So this was a team that was playing good football. They were playing close football and they went on this tear six game winning streak, but Southern, who has been, to be honest, the lead dog in that, that Western division all season long, you know, just proved once again why they are headed to, you know, the reservation once again to for a rematch against Alcorn State in the SWAC title game. So this was a great team win for Southern. But if you're Grambling, you're like, man, we had an opportunity to do something great. But Southern, led by Dawson Odoms, the head coach, who does a great job in getting his team ready to play, is off to the SWAC title game against Alcorn. And we will preview that game for you folks at the end of this podcast uh, before we get into the second round matchups. Let's get into our game balls, though. Emery, we mentioned a couple of the big performances. Who do you got, though, as your first game ball? The running backs. All the running backs. Offensively, <laughs> I'm just give it to the running backs because you're talking about James Robinson with 297 yards, Julian Gums, 172 yards at 10 and a half yards a carry, Pete Guerrero going off like Pete Guerrero does for 220 and three touchdowns, had a nice long touchdown run where he just hit the sideline and outran angle. So the running game was was paramount in this week's uh, playoff round. And everyone talks about it's a passing game. It's a passing league. We're in a passing era. Teams that run the football will always be in great position to win the game. And they did a great job. Even Murphy out there at Kennesaw State ran for over 200 yards. So all of the running backs and teams running games led them to victory. That's my biggest game ball of the week. 
I was about to say with Pete Guerrero. Fun fact, that's his fourth game out of his last six with 200-yard-plus rushing. He may get 2,000 yards before it's over with. And again, folks, Mama gets him for another year. So imagine what he's going to do in his senior season. Here's, and by the way, NFL NFL uh, scouts, start taking a look. Just just, well, just throwing it out there. Here's, a, here's another fun fact. He wasn't supposed to be the starter this year. They had two <laughs> other guys that were that were slated as number one and number two. Those two guys get hurt. He becomes the starter and puts together a record season that could end up with him winning the Peyton Award or at least uh, gaining or, you know, getting consensus first-team All-American honors. What a fantastic year by Pete Guerrero. Outstanding. I'm going to go to uh, game ball from my game, Albany versus Central Connecticut State, Jeff Undercuffler. We've mentioned him a few times here on this podcast. The freshman is for real. And not only for his stats in the game, which was impressive, 19 of 30, 304, and six touchdowns, but coming back from adversity, he looked very much under pressure uh, and had a lot of butterflies in that first half. Really didn't look like himself at all. Got the late touchdown in the first half, gets to the locker room, resets, and he just balled out in the second half, especially that third quarter. Outstanding from Jeff Undercuffler. He is one of the top freshmen this year in Division One. never mind FCS. So outstanding job from him this week. My last game ball goes to defensive back Christian Jagan out of Northern Iowa. There was one play in particular in that ball game, and I thought – was the turning point. Like I talked about before, Reed Sinet was doing a great job, you know, throwing the football around, had some confidence, had an interception early, should have thrown another interception um, before this play happened. But they went deep down the field, and I want to say it was Bandy had his guy beat. But you saw Jaggin come across the field and make a diving attempt to bat that ball away. That was his long pass breakup in that ball game. But had that pass been completed, we're probably talking about a different outcome to this ball game so that was a huge play in the game and he went on to get an interception later on in the game that he returned for 52 yards had a forced fumble seven tackles and a half a tfl so i thought he played a fantastic game but that pass breakup really stuck to me because it was in a, in a crucial part of the game where san diego was having some success moving the football they took a deep shot he got on his horse extended out i think he's about six one six two he used all of that frame to get out there and bat that ball away prevent that touchdown and really help spearhead this defensive effort by Northern Iowa. So great game by Jagan. And that was one of three interceptions that Northern Iowa pulled off in that game. Uh, I'm going to give my last game ball. I mentioned him quickly before Jonathan Murphy, the, the uh, quarterback from Kennesaw state. It's one thing when you go into the game, knowing you're the backup, but when you start the season at the third string, you're probably not expecting to see too much of the field. Jonathan Murphy <laughs> comes into this game just before halftime after Tommy Bryant goes down. Bryant was on crutches on the sidelines, and we hope he uh, has a quick recovery from that injury. But looked absolutely dynamic. He finishes with 23 carries, 206 yards, and three touchdowns without the sophomore being prepared and stepping up when the time was needed. Kennesaw State is watching the second round from the couch instead of playing it on the sidelines. So incredible job there from Jonathan Murphy. Uh, let's get into it, folks. We have to, uh, before we get into the main part of our segment here, we do have to talk about a couple more coaching changes. It's not coming as fast and furious as we had last year. Uh, we are, though, up to seven coaching changes, and let's go right through the memory. We'll start with um, a change at Lamar. Mike Schultz 
Uh, he has not been renewed after three years, went 13 and 22. Did get Lamar, though, to their first ever playoff appearance last season. Uh, a struggling year, though, for, for them and his squad this year. And so Lamar is going in a different direction. Yeah, that's a tough one because you talk about a program that was young and he got them to their first playoff you know, appearance and you get rid of them. You know, talk about expectations in college football. It's one of many surprising fires we've seen uh, this past weekend. I mean, and the one that's most shocking to me happened literally about an hour after we got done recording the podcast last week. Mark Elder, the head coach at Eastern Kentucky, gone after four years, back-to-back seven-win seasons, and that wasn't enough for him to keep his job. I'm absolutely shocked by this one. Definitely shocked. And you talk about a, a guy that had a, a great season this year, and you just thought, okay, this is going to be a great building block for next season. They'll, they'll have another breakthrough, and they get rid of him. I, I just Again, just shocking firings this weekend. And the last one we're going to talk about, not a firing, but a retirement. Uh, Tim Walsh, the head coach at Cal Poly, he is retiring uh, from coaching. 11 years at Cal Poly, 58 and 63, led them to two conference titles and two playoff appearances. He was a longtime head coach at Portland State. Uh, he was there for the transition from Division II up to the FCS Division I level. Uh, some solid years. Cal Poly is one of those teams that you it, it's you cannot blow out. Cal Poly. They're going to be there ready to fight every single week, and a lot of that is the culture that Tim Walsh was able to create for this program. Kudos to him for having success at Cal Poly. Did a great job throughout his tenure. Uh, made those guys relevant and consistent. You know, they were playoff-appearing teams. They were, you know, really good squads out there in the big sky that traveled well and beat teams, uh, you know, on their own turf. So he did a great job, and hats off to him for a great coaching career. Let's move on to the main one of our main topics here for the podcast, folks, and let's talk about strength of conference. It's a big, it's something that comes up all the time, and you hear it in the FBS especially too, with you know the college football playoff. Oh, is the champion of the Pac-12 better than the champion of the Big of the Big Twelve? Uh, you talk about Clemson. Oh, they're undefeated, but they're playing in the ACC. Same applies to the FCS, and we talked about it all year long. That so many of these conferences were really really strong. From top to bottom, they just beat the hell out of each other. SoCon was one of them. OVC was another. Southland was there. But now when you get into the playoffs, you kind of get a read of whether, you know, that strength of conference thing really is a thing. Big South wasn't expected to get more than one team in. Both te- They get two teams in, and they both advance. SoCon is done. Furman and Wofford both go down. And I think it just backs up that this whole thing is, is the strength of conference thing really a myth? Like because obviously the Missouri Valley and CAA are strong top to bottom, but apparently that doesn't mean anything when you have Villanova losing as a ranked team to Southeastern Louisiana. Yeah, I'd never bought into the strength of conference thing because each team individually is its own entity and brand. So having seen a lot of Mammoth play, uh, having seen Kennesaw State play, having seen a lot of these teams play, you know what you're watching is good football juxtaposed to Uh, someone else. And I watched a ton of film, you know, both live and also on film, actually. And you see teams that, you know, this game going to be a lot closer than people think, or, you know, this team is really good. People talked a lot of trash about the, you know, the, uh, the Ivy league. And I'm like, listen, you know, Princeton is a really good football team. This is, this is last year. You try to inform folks like, no, wait, Princeton has legit talent. And then they go into that season and average 50 points a game. And yeah. so I think when people 
look they like to look at conferences and judge them in terms of you know playoff participants but we know that's always a a funny scale to work with because of how the playoff appearances happen and how certain teams don't get into the playoffs or don't participate into the playoffs you see this in the FBS when people talk about well the strength of the SEC well here's the game that they play with the SEC you in preseason polls you rank all of them in the top 10 so when they start beating up on each other, you can say, oh, man, look, they have four top 10 wins. Um, but when people talk about the SEC, they're only talking about LSU, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. They're never talking about Kentucky. They're never talking about Vanderbilt. They're never talking about the Mississippis. They're only talking about those four teams out that 12-team league. So people do the same thing in the FCS like you talked about, and you have to really look at each individual case as its own case. Case in point, this year, look at North Dakota. Independent. But you watch them play good football. You say, hey, man, that's a really good team. Even teams that do not have success uh, on the record, we've talked about this a lot during the time we've been doing this podcast, Presbyterian. When was the last time you saw them truly get blown out? And it doesn't matter if Presbyterian is playing in the Big South or the future Pioneer League or you know, the lack of scholarships they have, or not full the full allotment of scholarships. Mm-hmm. They go out there and play competitive football. We go and see Wofford and the Citadel go on to beat Power 5 teams. The Citadel has beaten Georgia Tech and South Carolina. And, and you know, so you can't just look at the conference, because the conference don't play anybody. The yeah. Big South Conference doesn't have a team. The CAA doesn't have a team. The reason why you like the CAA is because they have good teams in it. You know, James Madison... Right. New Hampshire, Villanova, those teams. So it's not like teams go in and say, oh, oh this is a CA team. This is a, because I'm pretty sure you put that Princeton team last year on the field with Albany or with the Citadel, they may win that game and win it in an impressive fashion. So you really have to be careful when you're looking at a conference and saying, this team shouldn't be in because they don't play anybody. Well, how about the, the Big South being competitive? Campbell was a good football team. Gardner-Webb and Hampton can put up points and spurts, but Kennesaw has been consistent. Monmouth was a good team for the last four to five years. So you really have to be careful when you're you know, trying to play the conference better than this conference game because it's all about the individual team. I, 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 I want to throw this out there, too. I mean, you, you're nailing, you know, hitting the nail right on the head, but I, I think the phrase is you take every person one at a time when you're meeting somebody, you know, don't have your preconceived notions when you're meeting, you know, somebody for the first time and, you know, until you actually shake their hand, don't judge a team and take each team one at a time. You saw that last year with Colgate. I mean, the the Patriot league was awful. <laughs> I mean, just flat out bad. And yet you had a Colgate team who had one of the best defenses ever last year coming out of that Patriot league. Uh, you see that, you know, you see it this year. You see it with the CAA. JMU is outstanding. But did you really think that of the two teams that were playing in the first round that Albany was going to advance over Villanova? No. <laughs> I don't think anybody would have had, not many people at least, would have had that on their radar. You have to take each team one at a time. You mentioned, you know, Kennesaw, you know, weak strength of schedule, yes. Their team is only, their program's five years old. What do you expect? But they dominated that that whole schedule. You look at Southern Illinois, the Missouri Valley, it's the opposite to that. Yes, they were they had six or seven wins in the Missouri Valley Conference, but they didn't beat anybody good. And that's why they were left out of this field, even though they had a win over an FBS opponent. So that's where this whole thing, you know, forget the forget the conference. This is and this is where I think 
the committee in some years should just take away the name and the logo and take away the conference. You know, just look at what this team did throughout the year, look at their strength of schedule, and maybe that's it. And then you go from there. But it shouldn't be based on the conference that you play in, the name recognition. It shouldn't be about anything like that. It should be what you achieve on the field. And speaking of achievements on the field, let's get into well, hold the on. awards. I, want, I, want, I wanted to say one more thing. Like People forget Colgate last year dominated JMU. Yeah. So you yeah. can't really – you can't truly say – and they dominated uh, JMU, like you said, playing in what was a bad Patriot League uh, conference last year. So um, amongst those bad teams – Colgate was still consistently great. And so people really have to look at this thing individually. They always bag on the Patriot, the Pioneer, the SWAC, the MEAC, and the Ivy League, and, and also the Big South. But when you have those teams, we see North Carolina A&T, what is almost a, an annual thing, knocking off an FBS opponent. So you mean to tell me a team that can beat an FBS opponent is not one of the better teams in the FCS? Like, come on, man. Like, just be yeah. straight up and be honest. And I, it just makes you wonder how many people are true analysts or journalists that have a true unbiased eye when they're watching these games or mm. are they watching these games from a fan's perspective and really just being rah-rah. And this, like, I saw this yesterday. It's interesting because here I am in an NFL press box. Now, each press box you go to, <laughs> NFL or college, and they tell you all the time, you know, they they make the announcement like no cheering in the press, blah, 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 blah. So the Giants are playing the Packers, and it seemed like every play the Packers made, the Packers media was cheering. It's like, are you guys covering the team? Or are you guys fans? Of it? Like, what what is it? Like, you know, and I noticed this with a lot of, you know, guys that come into the 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 media um, uh, room from like these. I'm just talking about from a Giants perspective, the teams the Giants play that that they're the opposing media. It's like cheering or, you know, it's like, yo, how unbiased are you actually if you're cheering for a team that you're covering? Yeah, you probably want to see a team win because it makes your stories better. It makes the interviews that you're going to get better. But I truly wonder in the FCS how many people that, you know, are, are watching these games are box scores strictly from a fan's perspective and not a true unbiased uh, analytical eye saying, cause if that was the case, you should have easily seen a team like Monmouth coming and saying like, man, this is a very good team. You should have also seen Kennesaw state still be a very good team considering their schedule. So I just really wonder how many fans we have that are, are under the uh, umbrella of journalists or analysts or sports writers or sports takers um, that we have in the FCS, because I think that is also a big issue, because you see that in the SEC. That's how you get a Paul Feinbaum being on national TV, being a huge <laughs> SEC homer. You know what I'm saying? And it's just uh, here we it, go. It, but it's just it just doesn't <laughs> make sense when you watch when you're watching a game. You have to be unbiased if you're being paid to be a reporter or analyst. Exactly. And, and, and again, though, it, it should be based on achievement on the field, and that's where we get into the award season because now we're voting. We're getting into the voting now for finalists. Uh, for all of these huge postseason awards. And we're going to go through them. We had our the FCS stats voting over the last weekend uh, to determine the our top five individually. Uh, so we're going to just throw out a few names that we voted for for all the major awards. And we'll start with the Walter Payton Award. 
Uh, that is the FCS Heisman Trophy. Emery, who did you have on your ballot? Well, again, there was a ton of great names, man, on this list. I want to say it was probably maybe 15 or so names. So I narrowed down my top five, just going from five to one. Alex Ramsey, the running back from VMI, I thought he had a fantastic year, man. Like, he was consistent. Yeah. I think VMI is going to be a playoff team next year. I, I just really enjoy watching him run the football, and then their offense is going to be excellent. Number four, I have Kevin Thompson of Sacramento State. Love the way he managed this offense and keep this offense on on pace and has done a great job in, in helping get this Hornets team in the playoffs and playing really good football. Third, and it was tough to, to go from two to three. I guess you could flip a coin uh, for my two and three. But number three, I have Kenji Bahar. Fantastic quarterback play. And I'm talking about from the neck up, talking about what he does out there physically on the field. He is in complete control. He is like the Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, of the FCS and how complete his game is. Number two, obviously, Pete Guerrero. This guy could hit 2,000 yards this year if they keep playing. And, I mean, the, the way he hits the, the home run is something that you can't prepare for because you you don't really know how fast he is until it's too late and he's out there running past your defense. And number one, I have Trey Lance, North Dakota State. Richard freshman coming into the mix, starting for one of the, the Blue Blood programs in college football, regardless of the vision. And doing it at an impressive clip has these guys playing great football, undefeated, and looking like they're steamrolling toward Frisco once again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've got no problem with any of the guys. I mean, every one of these guys that was on these lists uh, from FCS Stats was deserving. A um, couple of other names that I voted for uh, that you didn't mention, Ryan Stanley, quarterback from FAMU. Obviously, they're not going to have any chance to prove how good they really are. They're not going to the Celebration Bowl, even though they should be. Uh, they not going to the FCS playoffs, but Ryan Stanley, you talk about clutch, quarterback clutch was Ryan Stanley this year for FAMU. Not against Bethune. Not against Bethune, that's true. That's the one time he didn't come through, uh, and the streak continues there for Bethune-Cookman. But uh, Kurt Rawlings as well, the quarterback from Yale. Um, Very, very underrated. This was a Yale team that just just lived under the radar. I I think they set up a tent under the radar uh, in the Ivy League behind Dartmouth and Princeton. And Kurt Rawlings was the big reason why Yale was right there at the end and gets a share of the Ivy League title. Uh, he had an outstanding job. Let's move on to the Buck Buchanan Award, but outstanding defensive player. Um, who do you got in this list, Emery? What's your top five? I'm, uh, first of all, I'm highly disappointed in you, Dave. It shows that you had you you didn't even have your list ready because all season you talked about Jermaine <laughs> Martin from North Carolina A&T, and he did not make your top five. I'm, now, hold I, on, hold on. Did I say he did not make my top five? You said I was you, just you just you did you, what you. You never miss an opportunity to talk about Jermaine Martin, except I was, I, I was, I will, I will take I, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a slice of pie. I forgot to take a photograph of my top fives before I submitted my vote. So I'll just throw that out there. That was my mistake. But let's move into the Buck Buchanan Award. A lot of incredible uh, nominees here as well on the defensive side of the ball from all over the country. I mean, this was, you know, you have teams, again, we talk about strength of conference. There's no strength of talent you know, any more widespread than the FCS. It's all over the place. Who was your top five for the buck? This was actually harder for me because of the amount of great defensive talent. So yes. I had to really work hard to <laughs> narrow down my top five. And it's, it, I changed it about four times before I hit submit and felt comfortable with my top five. So at number five, Sully Leach from Nichols, 
And this is more of a lifetime achievement award because he's been great since his freshman season. And just want to give him some credit right there at number five. Yes. Number four, having the privilege of seeing, of calling a lot of their games. Rico Kennedy, the linebacker of Morgan State, is flat out tremendous. They have a great linebacking core at Morgan State. Three of those guys are seniors, Malachi Washington, Ian McBurrow, and also Rico Kennedy. Rico Kennedy is one of a phenomenal story. He's married. He has a kid. He's a graduate. And he's also an All-American and All-Conference performer. So Rico Kennedy was number four. Number three, Rondell Carter of James Madison is having a fantastic season for the yes. Dukes. Big fan of his game. He has a pro future. Dante Olsen, once again, having a fantastic year. He's heading off to the East-West Shrine game, I believe. Um, so he's going to be a great pro prospect as well. Seems like he makes all the tackles for Montana. But at number one, Bryce Sturk, Montana State. Talk about dominant. I am a big fan of his game. He's one of the more dominant defenders uh, in the FCS. Absolutely. I, I got no problem with with that. So I mean, Sully Leach and Dante Olsen, both of those guys, they should be playing Sundays next year. I mean, they're both absolute or in, you know, at any point for over the next 10 years. I think you can see, especially Dante Olsen, he's been outstanding. Um, another guy I had on, on my list, though, was Ellie Mensa, the uh, defensive lineman from Albany. The game I was at last weekend against Central Connecticut, he not only had a sack, he also had a pick. This guy is all over the football. And again, though, if you want to talk about defensive candidates for next year, just keep an eye out on the entire University of Albany defensive uh, seven, especially at the linebacker position, because they have three guys there that could be Buck Buchanan finalists next season. So I'll keep them on there. Moving on to the Jerry Rice Award, outstanding freshman. Um, I'm going to throw out a couple names here on my, that are on my list. Uh, Trey Lance. I mean, come on. <laughs> this guy's a freshman quarterback at the number one team in FCS, and he's dominating. It was absolutely flawless. He did an outstanding job this year and continues to do so. We'll see him in the second round. I'm going to put Jeff Undercuffler in there as well from Albany. He has had, well, I think it's up to, after last game, I think he's up to 39 touchdowns this season. Incredible stuff from this kid. He's got all the throws. He loves the deep ball, has great touch on his passes. And Abdul Fatai Ibrahim from Alabama A&M. Incredible season from him as well. Under the radar prospect, but really made Alabama A&M a force to be reckoned with in that SWAC East. Once again, highly disappointed in you, Dave. Like, Who did you I miss never, this time? You never miss an opportunity to talk about Keegan Shoemaker. From He's in my top five, too. I was throwing out some... I wasn't going to review my top five again because I forgot to take a photograph of it. <laughs> anyway, at number five, I, you know, Boy. even though they don't allow you to have ties, um, I want to give this guy <laughs> recommendation for this because it was so tough to keep him out of my top five. But Tyrese Chambers of Sacred Heart, fantastic yeah. player. And I think he's going to be a tremendous receiver down the line. Um, but number five, Omar Brown of Northern Iowa thought he was excellent this year. And it's... Four through one is, is a bunch of quarterbacks. John Box third played great this year for UT Martin. Um, had those guys on the brink of a playoff appearance. Uh, Jeff Undercuffler is number three. I uh, love the way he's just out there competing. He's a big body guy for a freshman, so it'll be interesting how he continues to develop physically as he moves forward. Haj Malik Williams out of Campbell, the quarterback who did a great job this year. I think he's going to be one of those guys that, that are going to be up for the Peyton Award before his career is done. I thought he did a fantastic job this season for Campbell. Look out for them next year uh, in the Big South. And Trey Lance, it was an easy one to keep him number one because, I mean, this dude is just playing great football. And he's, he was playing great from start to finish. So we'll see him next week getting his first playoff 
um, look at, at uh, North Dakota State. And we go to our final award here, folks, before we get into a quick FCS Bowl preview and the preview of the second round of the playoffs and the SWAC title game, uh, the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year Award. I think in terms of this award, picking the finalists is easy. Picking the winner is going to be nearly impossible because we've had some, so many outstanding coaches this year. Uh, Bernard Clark Jr. for Robert Morris. I mean, talk about turning a program completely on its head. Uh, Troy Taylor from Sacramento State. This is a team that was predicted ninth in both polls in the big sky, had no players on the first team offense or defense, and look where they are now. Uh, Matt Entz, first-year head coach at North Dakota State, taking over as the assembly line keeps rolling, but he's done a great job. And a huge shout-out to it to Scott Walkenheim out of uh, VMI. What an outstanding job he's done with that program the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and that's why I'll start at number five. Scott Walkenheim is my number five uh, coach, and – I, at number six, if I could do six, you could put all the rest of the guys on this list. So I went <laughs> I went with number – my top five is more along the lines of, you know, teams that truly d you didn't expect to see play well. We thought Troy Taylor was going to do well at South as, uh, uh, Sacramento State. We talked about that in our Big Sky preview because of his pedigree coming from Utah and what they had in place roster-wise because last year Sacramento State – they had some talent, and they were not a bad football team. And so they got the right coach. He turned it around pretty quickly. So that's why you won't see Matt Entz, um, Hutspit over there at Austin P, uh, Brown and Chesney, Signetti. Those are good coaches that are understood, Buddy Stevens as well. Um, but Wackenheim, uh, Wackenheim um, at VMI, I mean, VMI was legit threats this year yeah and it was just great to watch man so he gets number five number four kevin callahan uh coach at Mammoth, first time outright big south title first playoff win great year for for him and he's the founder of that program so this program started in 1993 i believe and he was he's been there since day one of this football program so number four number three Buddy Pugh, South Carolina State, and what Shout they out did to Buddy this year. Pugh. Yeah, I mean, wasn't he supposed to retire last year? They wasn't supposed to. <laughs> his contract issue didn't, you know, they didn't solve it. They bring it back, and they were on the precipice of the playoffs. Probably should have gone to the playoffs, but we talked about the reason why they didn't that game versus Lane. But eight wins this year uh, for South Carolina State with a young football team. Next year, they may win 10. Number two, Ryan McCarthy of Central Connecticut State. And this is why, one, they were great. They were 10-1 uh, this year. But remember, he got this job late in the process yeah. because their head coach stepped down and then took a job, a positional coaching job at Rutgers. And so they were scrambling to find a head coach. They bring him, Ryan McCarthy, promote him up uh, from positional coach to, to the head coach and turned out to be one of the best seasons in Central Connecticut State football history. So Shout out to him. And number one, Bernard Clark. Robert Morris is one of those programs like VMI where you just didn't expect anything from them. But this is his, what, third season? Slowly turning around this program, getting the talent in. And Robert Morris may be on the cusp of a championship next year in that NEC. So great year for him. I thought all of these coaches that were listed here as candidates are definitely worthy. But these five, I thought, did the, did the most uh, this season, most surprising jobs this season. Absolutely, and, and uh, we'll see who those final five are for all of those awards. Uh, 
pretty soon. It might be happening this week, I believe. Let's get into what's going on this week, though, Emery. We're going to start with the FCS Bowl. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a whole bunch of other big all-star games coming up. You've got the Shrine Game. Uh, you've got the uh, NFLPA Bowl. You've got the Senior Bowl, of course, the Tropical Bowl that you'll be at. But the uh, FCS Bowl is really one of the first ones out of the gate. You'll be down there uh, coming up this week. What are you keeping an eye out for, and which players are you keeping an eye on? Well, this this is a game where, you know, it's in December, so it's a great opportunity for a lot of these small college guys to get seen first, you know, because the scouts right. are starting to form, you know, finalize a list of players, and these may be a, a bunch of guys that they may not have seen. I was at, at this game last year, all 20, well, I won't say all 32 NFL teams, all CFL teams were there, and this was a December All-Star game. So you had everyone there watching these guys for these three days of practice and this game. Um, you know, so it's a great opportunity for FCS guys that hadn't played in the playoffs, that, you know, their season has been over with since before uh, Thanksgiving on that last week of the regular season. So you're going to see a ton of FCS guys in this game. But one guy in particular I'm very interested to see because I think he's a very underrated prospect and that's Michael Darius there's two receivers Michael Darius of Georgetown and Kyle Anthony of Howard let's start with Darius you talk about a player at Georgetown whose passing game was probably the reason why they didn't get into the playoffs or win that that league outright uh, but they have talent and Darius is one when they want to go deep down the field they looked at Darius he's 6'1 210 he's a big physical uh, player and when you see him get off the bus you say okay that's a that's a pro player right there that's an NFL player that's a power five type talent. He's that type of guy. And Kyle Anthony, I've seen him grow and progress every year since his freshman season. I was on his uh, broadcast when they played uh, Morgan State four years ago, uh, and and this is a time when they had a you know their previous head coach and Kyle Anthony was a true freshman out there making spectacular catches. And you know he's six three, about one ninety five. He he you know he he plays well without the ball. Um, and I'm glad these two receivers who are criminally underrated because all you heard about Howard's receiving core was Jaquez Ezzard, rightfully so. He's their game breaker. He didn't play at all this year because of an injury. Um, and Kyle Anthony has been the more consistent player uh, throughout his career. And, you know, he's a big receiver. He looks the part. He plays the part, plays well without the ball. I'm excited to see both guys get out there this weekend in Daytona Beach and perform in front of these NFL, CFL, and XFL scouts that will be in attendance. And again, folks, that one is in Daytona Beach um, this upcoming weekend. Emery will be down there, so if you want to keep all of the all updates on from there, you can uh, keep an eye on him and follow him on Twitter if you're not already doing so, at FBall Game Plan on Twitter. Let's get into the upcoming week. We'll start with the SWAC title game, Emery. Southern taking on Alcorn. These two teams did meet in the regular season. Alcorn State took home the victory 27-13. to What adjustments does Southern have to make? in order to get this win and go to the Celebration Bowl? Well, one of the things they have to do is, is you know, make sure they contain Felix, uh, Felix Hopper, the quarterback for Alcorn State, who's tremendous, who's up for the Walter Payton Award as well. Um, but if they can stop the run, they'll be in great shape. And we know Southern has a great defense, so we'll see what happens in this game because, again, they couldn't stop the run last year in this matchup in the SWAC title game. Let's see what changes they can make, not only from that game, but like you talked about the game earlier in the year, this weekend – at Jack Spink Stadium. It's going to be an interesting one to watch for sure. Let's get into, though, the second round. And this is when the seeded teams come out to play. And we're going to go through these games in terms of the time that they are starting. We're not going to go based on seeds. We're going to go time when they're starting because all these games are streamable on ESPN3. 
So keep that in mind, folks. If you can't make it out to the game yourself or if you're an alum or a student that's uh, you know not able to attend this game, you can watch these games on ESPN3. We'll start with the only game of the Eastern time zone at 1 o'clock. Monmouth taking on the number two seed, James Madison. This one is intriguing. Again, on paper, okay, Monmouth, yeah, cool, whatever. They, you know, they knocked off Kennesaw. They beat Holy Cross in the first round, whatever. This team is in the top 10 in almost every single offensive category. They're number one in yards. But the question is, can they slow down this JMU passing attack? Because their passing defense has not been that strong this year. And if there's one thing that JMU has in Danucci, it's a quarterback that can really spread it across the field. Yeah, that's the biggest matchup right there. I mean, the, the mama's defense. I have, and yes, their offense will find some success. This is a great defense they're going up against, especially uh, from a pass rushing standpoint, also in coverage. So we'll learn a lot about, you know, this mama's offense against this defense. So it's a great strength versus strength battle. But on the other side of the ball, Mammoth's defense that has been playing well down the stretch, can they continue to keep, keep that going um, against JMU and this juggernaut that we've seen from the Dukes this season? And full disclosure, you look at Pete Guerrero, who's leading the nation at rushing right now, mm-hmm. he's 112 yards away from 2,000 yards rushing on the season. And he will be facing the number one ranked rushing defense in the country in JMU. Strength versus strength. This is going to be outstanding. And by the way, it's the first time these teams have ever met. And they also announced a future home-and-home series in 2024 and 2025. So they will see each other down the road. On to the next game, 2 o'clock Eastern time. Northern Iowa coming off their win over San Diego. They will take on the number seven seed, the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. A little Missouri Valley football uh, in the second round here. Northern Iowa's defense showed up in the last round. They're going to need it at full strength against South Dakota State, a team they lost to uh, 7-38 in the regular season. Yeah, I, I was about to say 70. Wow. But um, <laughs> I want to see Northern Iowa's offense show up. They they have to do a better job in this game. They can't have an encore performance like they did against San Diego, against South Dakota State. Jack Rabbits should have another uh, – they should be healthier, you know, with this bye week and a couple of weeks to get ready for this game. So we should see the best of South Dakota State. But I want to see a better offensive output by Northern Iowa. And you have two top ten defenses – uh, teams in terms of points per game in this one so this one could turn into a defensive slugfest several games four games in fact kicking off at 3 p.m let's start with central arkansas the number eight seed they are at home taking on illinois state the biggest key for central arkansas obviously slow down james robinson because if you do that illinois state is very beatable central arkansas comes in with the 40th best defense in terms of rushing yardage against in the fcs same things people were saying about the Big South. They were saying about the Southland Conference. And lo and behold, both teams from both conferences are in the second round one. And Central Arkansas has a seed. So, again, you can't just go by conference play. You have to look at how these teams are playing. I'm excited to see this matchup because of Central Arkansas's ability to throw the football. And, and they have a really good quarterback themselves, young player, um, Braylon Smith, that's doing a great job. Next one up. The number six seed, Montana, the Grizzlies at home, taking on southeastern Louisiana. Talk about a bit of a culture shock for southeastern Louisiana and their players going from home in, in Hammond to now going into big sky country to take on Montana. They showed they've got the offensive firepower, but this is going to be a very different defense that they're going to see in Montana. Well, as, if history is of any indication, 
judging by this season, you're going to have to watch the entire game uh, because you don't know when Southeastern Louisiana will turn it on, but you know they will at some point in this game turn it on and will make this a full 60-minute contest. So we may see this one, once again, come all the way down to the wire dealing with the Lions. If there's one place that Montana is vulnerable, it's in the passing game. They've got the 117th ranked passing defense. Southeast Louisiana has the number two passing offense. So if this turns into a track meet, every advantage to Southeastern Louisiana, if it gets slowed down, Montana should have the edge in this one. Next one up. We're going to stay in Montana. Montana State, the number five seed. Their first time ever facing the Great Danes of Albany. Again, Kind of a clash of styles here. Montana State runs a very interesting offense, kind of an option look. Uh, we know what Albany can bring to the table. They just air the ball out. The question is, which offensive style will prevail in this one? I like how the state of Montana will be buzzing this weekend. They have two big <laughs> playoff games, um, you know, from their two flagship universities. So, but in this matchup, you're right. This will be a point of attack game. So if you love offensive line versus defensive line play. This is your game because Albany's defense, and I would include their linebacking core because they're coming off of a great game against Central Connecticut State in that discussion with their defensive line, but this is a great point of attack play. It should be a physical contest at Bobcat Stadium. In a way, the game last week against Central Connecticut State was a bit of a tune-up for this game with Montana State. They play a, a kind of a similar offensive scheme, those two schools. Uh, obviously, Montana State just clicks on all cylinders, and they have a much better defense. Uh, but you're right. Uh, if you have, if you are a potential robber that wants to commit a crime, go to the state of Montana this weekend because nobody will be at home. Everybody's either going to be at the bar or at the stadiums watching those two games. Let's move on to this next one here at three o'clock. The last three o'clock start. First, again, another first time meeting. Five of the, of the eight matchups in this round are first time meetings. You have Weaver State taking on Kennesaw State out in Utah. Kennesaw State coming off a big win against another option foe. They're not going to get an option look, though, from Weaver. Yeah, Weaver is going to be uh, excellent. They love to spread the field. They can spread it and run the football. They also play great defense. Discipline will be the name of the game, and we know it travels well. Run game, defense, and quietly, Kennesaw State's defense is still outstanding. Armstrong, your favorite linebacker in the FCS, does a great job in playing on both sides of the ball. <laughs> it's going to be a good one for sure. Let's Surprise, he wasn't, he wasn't up for much discussion this year for the Buck Buchanan. I'm, I'm kind of shocked in, yeah. in a way. I mean, he is still only, I believe, a sophomore or junior, so he's still got a little bit of time to grow. Let's move on to 3.30, this next matchup. The number one seed, North Dakota State, the Bison, taking on Nichols, coming out of Louisiana, coming out of the Southland Conference. Nichols had that nice win over North Dakota. Now they get to play North Dakota again, this time in the Fargo Dome. What in... You know, <laughs> this is always the question mark. What what bit of witchcraft does the team have to do to win in the Fargo Dome? What does Nichols have to do in this one? It's funny you bring a witchcraft and talking about Louisiana. Uh, you're talking about Southern Louisiana. You're talking about voodoo. So I like the connection there. <laughs> Unintentional connection by you. You probably didn't know that. Uh, so I know my voodoo. Come on now. <laughs> but I do think this is a this is an intriguing game for Nichols. And I want to correct myself. Bryce Bryce Bryson Armstrong is also up for the Buck Buchanan Award. Uh, you don't want people in your mentions talking about, how could you forget this and how could you forget that? Like, mm -hmm. people don't realize how much football we talk throughout the whole week, so things do slip through the cracks. But back to this game, Nichols really has to play mistake-free football. If you can play mistake-free football, maximize your possessions, 
you put yourself in the conversation of being in this ball game. So that right there is first and foremost your foundation uh, for trying to play uh, North Dakota State. And again, you as great as he's been, you are playing a redshirt freshman in Trey Lance in his first playoff appearance. We'll see what kind of uniqueness they can draw up to try to take advantage of his inexperience in this ball game. It's going to be interesting to watch this one because obviously North Dakota State's known for rushing the football kind of as a first priority. They're number four in the in the country this year in rushing without really running an option offense, which is impressive. Uh, but to think that Trey Lance is not a good quarterback because they're 78th in passing yards means you haven't watched him play. He is extremely efficient. And South, and the one thing that Nichols cannot do this year is defend the pass. They're 123rd. So it'll be interesting to see if Trey Lance balls out a little bit more than normal in the passing game. And the last matchup here, this one starts at 9 o'clock Eastern time, uh, 6 o'clock Pacific out there in California. The Hornets of Sacramento State and Troy Taylor making their first ever playoff appearance, taking on an Austin P squad who has just dipped their toe in the water in terms of the FCS playoffs. They come off a huge win in their game against Furman. This one might be one of the more entertaining games of the first, of the second round. And I'm glad it is the last game on the schedule at 9 o'clock because it will be must-see TV, and I'm glad I'll be able to watch that one live uh, as it actually is happening, as I'll be done from uh, FCS Bowl practice. But this is a huge game, you know, because both teams do a lot of things very well, um, both defensively and offensively. I love the front seven play of Austin P. I love how they can get after the quarterback. Sacramento State on the back end does a great job in coverage. The run game, we we know about that, and you have to contain Javon Craig, who does a great job getting outside the pocket. If he chooses to run, he he has that in his in his arsenal, but he's a, a passer first, and his athleticism extends play. So so unique challenge for Sacramento State, but they've had two weeks to prepare, and we'll see what they can draw up at Hornet Stadium because this is going to be a, a great matchup, man. It's it's almost almost a shame that you get to see this game. Um, you know, this early, I kind of want to see these guys play around Robin. I think this is an intriguing yeah. uh, clash of styles that, I, that it's going to be a fantastic matchup out, out there on Saturday. And quietly, everybody else on the big sky is hoping Austin P prevails because remember Sacramento state beat Montana state who they would play in the next round. I believe they crushed Montana. They took Weaver to the brink. Nobody wants to see this Sacramento state team advance, especially out of the big sky teams. We'll see how they adjust to Austin P. And also quickly, folks, before we end this podcast, a quick note to mention about the second round. Last year, seeded teams were 8-0 in the second round. And since the playoff format shifted to 24 teams in 2013, they are 35-13. So if you're looking to make a little bit of money, perhaps, on the side, make a couple side bets, this might be the one to do a parlay on. Maybe, uh, you know, take a couple favorites here in this one. But it's going to be a lot of intriguing football a lot of games that are going to be very hard to predict, and we can't wait to watch it. That'll do it for the FCS Opening Drive podcast. The second round preview is right here on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can listen back to it on demand. Emory, also follow Craig Haley at Craig Haley. We've got to get Craig Haley in the mix. Dave likes to just have no commas or uh, no punctuation marks. He just runs on from point to point without stopping and making a statement to say, hey, Craig Haley, we appreciate what he does out there with uh, FCS Stats. Follow him on Twitter at Craig Haley at FCS underscore stats for all tremendous FCS content. Proceed. Well, unlike, well, unlike you, I actually appreciate Craig Haley instead of blaming him every week for all of our complaints and our mentions. So, Craig, shout out to you, my friend. Incredible job, as always. But the second round is underway. 
Emery, you'll be down in Florida basking in the sun. I'm very jealous as, as we shiver here in the, the Northeast for the next week. Winter is very much upon us, and that means it's very much prime time football time here in the United States. Folks, that'll do it for the FCS Opening Drive podcast. For Emery Hunt, the Czar of the Playbook, I'm David Hassagan. Thanks for listening in.